Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that wishes they could all be California girls. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my disco-dancing bisexual starfucker twink author, Chris File. Hello, Chris. And don't you fucking forget it. <laughs> we contain multitudes, and uh, that is a multitude of a person who we're going to be talking about. A uh, couple of people with multitudes who we're going to be talking about in this episode, <laughs> actually. Um, uh, for film stars don't die in Liverpool. Uh, very excited to talk about this uh, film with you, Chris. A film that I saw at the Toronto Film Festival when it premiered. Did you see that as well? I did not. This was my first time seeing it. Oh, I am fascinated and interesting to hear your thoughts on this movie. I, I've sort of gone kind of all over the map with this one, so um, I'm interested to see where you land after a first viewing. Um, I remember not seeing this at that TIFF because you hated it. <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> hating it. Or were so it. disappointed so enough that I was I like, was definitely okay. a little disappointed. Um, I also saw it at Roy Thompson Hall. It was the first thing I ever saw at Roy Thompson Hall. And it was my first experience with the um, not-ideal angles at that place. Although I did end I up... I think they have they have since improved upon such matters. I ended up with a pretty good seat in as much as I was against a wall. Where, uh, like, I wasn't on an aisle, but I also was, like, not in between two seats i was i had a wall on one side of me so i was only like bordered by a person on one side which is nice um yeah uh i i realize now it was the premiere obviously because it was at roy thompson hall and i went back and i watched um the tiff video of the red carpet before the mm-hmm. uh, premiere uh co-hosted by uh my friend anthony anthony Oliveira, and um the crowd was so fucking loud and screamy for Jamie Bell that they like <laughs> nearly blew out poor Annette Benning's eardrums as she's trying to like talk to uh to the interviewers, to Anthony and, and his uh co-interviewer, and she's like visibly <laughs> Not necessarily, like, perturbed by it, but, like, visibly, like, I would like to get out of this soundscape as quickly as possible. <laughs> um, Why were they so wild for Jamie Bell? Like, uh, does the Billy Elliot Hive uh, flourish in Canada? Here's or my thinking. Was he is, on some Netflix show we've already forgotten about? In the economy of, first of all, I just want to say for the record that, like, it is fucking cool that there is any kind of environment where a movie like Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool is an occasion for, like, 
screaming anythings to be up against a barricade and like, you know, hooting and hollering sure, for sure, anybody. Sure, like sure, that's sure. that's the kind of thing that you get at Tiff is this like weird little microcosm like fantasy land where like the biggest movies in creation are like um, you know, movies like Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool or uh like Disobedience. All the honey grams were out in force, and by the honey grams I do mean the Gloria Graham hive. Exactly. Um so I think in that microcosm of an environment, Jamie Bell is like top tier hottie. You know what I mean? Sure, like Jamie sure. Bell is top tier hottie kind of anyway, but especially Correct. in that kind of environment, like these people are popping off for for Jamie and I think with probably good reason. Um but before we get into this too much, we want to talk about once again our Patreon, uh, which is up and running and flourishing. I'm going to say, uh, if you want to go check out this had Oscar buzz, turbulent brilliance. It's our, it's the, what we're calling our Patreon. Uh, you can find that at, let's see, what is the, Oh, Patreon. Patreon.com slash this at Oscar. Thank you. I'm always so bad at pinpointing that in my copy. Um, <laughs> it's really simple. It is really it's simple. I kept... than some of our other social media platforms, you could say. I know. That is very true. I My problem is that I failed to uh, underline it in my copy, which is my bad, and you, the listener, should not be punished for my oversight there. Anyway, yes, this hot Oscar buzz, we turbulent brilliance. We make it highly accessible for you to find. 100%. Uh, $5 a month for uh, membership, you will get in return two bonus episodes per month. One of those episodes will be what we're calling an exception episode, where we'll cover a movie which fits the usual This Had Oscar Buzz rubric, uh, Great Expectations, Disappointing Results, not necessarily Great Expectations, the film, although... Maybe um, that would be that would be a uh, main show. Main show. Main that's show. true. That didn't get any Oscar nominations. That's very true. Um, we could be talking about multiple great expectations, right? Exceptions are movies that had uh, great expectations, disappointing results, but got an Oscar nomination or two along the way, which opens us up to quite a few movies that we've been dying to talk about. We kicked things off with a discussion of the musical Flop Nine, which is available for your listening pleasure right now. If you go and sign up uh, in the future, we're going to be looking at movies like Charlie Wilson's War and Across the Universe and The Lovely Bones. We have an episode on Pleasantville coming up very soon, so you're going to want to sign up uh, to hear us talk about Joan Allen feeling her black and white fantasy in ways literal and metaphorical. Um, then we have a second episode every month, which will be what we're calling excursions. Those are going to be off-format uh, episodes where we might do uh, Oscar race check-ins or leaf through an old Entertainment Weekly movie preview or watch an old award show. Uh, we can do Patreon-only mailbag episodes. We're definitely planning one of those pretty soon. Um, we can do some thought experiments. We're going to explore the space, see what works. We uh, Last week, we put up a discussion of Chris's field trip to see Magic Mike live in Las Vegas, which eventually hey. became a Barbenheimer uh, discussion episode. We recorded it on Barbenheimer. We recorded it on Barbenheimer weekend, so we had to uh, to get into that. So if you listen to our Magic Mike live episode, you'll also get our Barbenheimer thoughts, which is uh, good and fun. Um we're also planning on putting up some Patreon-only polls where you'll be able to vote to determine certain upcoming episodes, both on the Patreon and on the flagship feed. So you can have your say uh, in an even more determinate way. So we love that. 
Um, I think this sounds fun, Chris. Does this sound fun to you? If It sounds so fun, and I can confirm that it is so fun, being that we have uh, recorded a handful of episodes already. Yes. If this sounds fun to you, dear listener, and or you'd like to support our show and make sure we can continue to make it long into the future, uh, uh, you can sign up for This Had Oscar Buzz Turbulent Brilliance at our Patreon page at I Know It This Time, patreon.com slash This Had Oscar Buzz. Thank you, and we love you, Garys, and uh, back to your reg- regularly scheduled episode on Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. Liverpool. See, when we do ads, we're not going to sell you, you know, dubious medications or mattresses or, um, I don't know. Better help. Better help, exactly. Uh, we're going <laughs> to sell you us. We're going to give you uh, Barbenheimer and and uh, be Italian is what we're going to sell you. So uh, that's exactly for the low low price of five dollars a month. Who can who can beat that? All right. Um, film stars don't die in Liverpool. A movie that I feel like we were both looking forward to because we are both card carrying members of the uh, of the Annette Benning Air Force. Where do we go? What are, Rihanna's got the Navy. I feel like she has played a, not only in Captain Marvel, but it does seem canonical that she has played some type of Air Force veteran well, multiple times. Well, 20th Century Women, she's a pilot. She she flies that airplane. Does she fly it? Isn't that whole thing by the end? She learns how to fly? I don't think she flies it. I think she's a passenger in it. Well, whatever. Either she's, way. She's up in the air. Uh, immaculate. Uh, tears running down my face, etc. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's up in the air. She's 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 cruising around. She's What we need, maybe. I mean, like, we're not propagandists here. But <laughs> we would see different movies with Annette Benning in... Uh, different uh, branches of the military. I would also support... Uh, changing the name of all Boeing aircraft to Benning aircraft. I feel like I would feel much safer in the friendly skies if I was flying in a Benning. true. A Benning 747. A Benning 747. Doesn't that feel better? Doesn't that feel like you're, you're, you're in better hands? Is a 747 hands? a big plane? Because I feel like today, if, that is, if a 747 is a large plane... It is. We're not flying a Benning 747 this episode. No, we're flying a a, a a Benning version of a Cessna, I guess. Although, yeah. hopefully, less. We're apt flying to crash. a Benning seven. Uh, we're flying a Benning private jet. Sure, 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 sure. Yes, Benning Airways. <laughs> exactly. We're flying the with Benning Airways, and yeah. But this was uh, small as it is. I think any upcoming Annette Benning movie is an event which we'll get into when we talk about her upcoming twenty twenty three movie Nyad, which seems like another small Benning character study. Yes, exactly. Then we'll be in Benning uh, submersibles. Um, not a good year for submersibles. Maybe we shouldn't say that. But um, anyway, uh, Nyad feels like, and I don't want to jinx it, of course, but like a similar kind of thing where we're sort of all looking forward to this like fairly small movie and excited to see if this is is this the one is this finally Annette Benning's Oscar movie uh, could it be I feel like much like film stars don't die in Liverpool we will know yeah. quickly yes we'll know quickly yeah we'll know we'll we'll at least the if it's a no we'll definitely know if it's a right. maybe like then 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 we move on to the next step um i right. think Oscars are not won in the fall festival season, but they can often be lost. So, um, yeah. Uh, but in 2017, there was definitely hope. We were keeping hope alive uh, for, because by that point, 
She had been snubbed the year before for 20th century women, and we were all nursing our wounds. And for many of us, I know the two of us are of the of the opinion that at least I was of the opinion that that was my number one performance of that year. That that would have been I was as well. Uh, no, which isn't to say that if she had been nominated, she would have won. I think Emma Stone's winning that Oscar no matter what. But we like to see uh, greatness rewarded with <laughs> with a nomination, and uh, she certainly deserved it. So we're going into 2017. We're like, all right, what's next? Move like you know. Uh, pull yourself up from the mat and dust yourself off and we're gonna ride into battle again for Annette and it's this movie where she's playing an Oscar winning actress that has worked for actresses in the past and it's a you know it's a movie about a cross-generational romance and there's illness and death and regret and England and all this sort of stuff is happening. Julie Walters is there. Vanessa Redgrave is there. For some reason. (laughs) (laughs) I will say Julie Walters is one of my favorite parts of the movie, but we'll get into it. Um, So there was a lot of hope. And then it premiered and it played kind of a lot of places in the fall festival season. It premiered at Telluride. Telluride, right? And when things premiere at Telluride, and I say this knowing that you are generally more plugged in to Telluride reaction than I am, everyone's, well, like, I'll show up in Toronto and I'll mention a movie and you'll be like, well, that didn't do well at Telluride. And I'm like, I didn't hear about this at all. Um, That's part of the reason. Why. If you, if the thi- My thing about Telluride, and I don't know if I'm all that plugged in because I think Telluride has really morphed into... I don't. I, you are not a fan of the Telluride Film Festival. Uh no, no, it's not the festival, and I've never been, so I, I'm not dumping on the festival. But I think some of the voices that go there are only seemingly interested in the awards race and not the films themselves. And sure, I think the effusiveness level, which like we all understand, being in an environment that's just like primed to only appreciate something and not you know think all that critically about uh-huh. it uh it's not just the altitude but like it's only effusive responses so when a movie plays there and you hear nothing yeah that's a bad it's a it's a, because it's a they won't kind of say thing. anything bad like sure. you know it, yeah. Mostly because the movie stars are in the audience with you rather than up in a balcony somewhere or backstage. Like, that's the whole thing about that's why they're saying that Telluride might be able to actually behave as normal this year during the strikes because they don't have people big, you know, red carpet premieres or galas or whatever. The, the, the stars are mingling in their little, you know, Colorado mountain wear. Um, among everybody else and don't aren't really working so much as they're just sort of like there to see the movies. But if Tom Hanks is sitting next to you, you know what I mean? Like maybe you're inclined to be, you know, you're in. I don't know. I still think it's your job. Like, oh, I don't, I'm you not can saying do whatever you want on Twitter, but like, it's also still your job to like think critically sure, about. Sure, I'm things just saying to, human nature know... is human nature, and that's probably where a lot of that, you know, uh, maybe at least a lot of that. Uh, comes from anyway we can speculate about telluride telluride to me is this great mystical land that sort of exists behind a veil and i'll never go to it because you have to pay 
for it and it's and it's an an expensive trip to take anyway we're like and (laughs) if i'm gonna pay that much at least send me to a gay destination (laughs) and i also like i understand that everybody has a wonderful experience when they go there etc etc oh i'm sure once i was there i would have a great time i'm sure it's it's idyllic beautiful wonderful i'm sure that like you meet great people etc totally i'm not necessarily inclined to go see a movie in a high school gymnasium even if that's the other thing do whatever state-of-the-art equipment that they have uh-huh, uh-huh. um yeah you know i get it but like yeah i don't know um but it it exists as this sort of mystery place i never they they never announce their lineup so there's always a degree of like a guessing game as to what movies are playing and you're sort of reading the negative space it's it's a to me at least it's a little bit of a land of mystery and i i find that mm-hmm. a little bit intriguing as opposed to venice and toronto and and new york film festivals which are uh which are you know, much more on Front Street. But anyway, um, I was very excited to see Film film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool, and I was uh, disappointed with it, and that's probably why I chased you away from it. Um, There is nothing (laughs) more apt to get me to change my TIFF schedule than me asking somebody about a movie and then being like, you don't really need to see it. And then I'm like, great! I'm going to find something else because like the, yeah, there's so yeah, much yeah. competition for, you this know, this was also my first tiff too. So like my, oh, right. my schedule has never been more in flux than the first time. And I'm never doing it that way again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well then let's, why don't, why, what are we waiting for? Let's just get into it. And, um, we'll talk about the bending of it all. We'll talking about, we'll talk about the Jamie Bell of it all. We'll talk about the, um, <laughs> the real life inspo of it all because that is the authorship questions kind of abound when we talk about this movie so i'm interested to see to hear what your thoughts are on that because my thoughts tend to get a little more sharply formed every time i see it but anyway we will be talking about 2017's film stars don't die in liverpool directed by Paul McGuigan is how they pronounced it on the red carpet at TIFF, so that is how I will pronounce it, too. It is not how I would have pronounced it before I heard that. So, uh, Paul McGuigan, whose filmography is kind of wild. We'll get into that. Uh, it was written for the screen by Matt Greenlaw, and that was based on the book Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool, written by Peter Turner, who is, of course, a character in this film, uh, main character, we'll talk about it, starring Annette Benning, Jamie Bell, Julie Walters, Kenneth Cranham, Stephen Graham, with Vanessa Redgrave, and there's no and credit, which is, to me, always the most intriguing. And with the ghost and of situation. Gloria Graham. Is, yes, right. Um, but when there's a with but no and fascinated to know what the contractual uh implications are there right where they is it that they had tried to negotiate for an and but couldn't get it is there a is there a salary threshold for a, a is there a contractually an obligated and that was on the cutting room floor oh, maybe you like there's this is anybody with knowledge of uh casting credits and knows what it means when there's a with but no and, let me know. What it implies, because I'm fascinated to know. Um, 
film premiered, as I said, at the Telluride Film Festival on September 1st, 2017, played the Toronto Film Festival, it played London, it played AFI Film Festival, before premiering in, I, as I recall it, quite limited release on December 29th, 2017. And then I imagine it was one of those things that like didn't really have a proper, even like platformed, like limited until February until yeah, January, February. Exactly. So topping out at a hundred and seven theaters, I believe. Well, yeah, it was a very, very slight release. Um, uh, Chris and that like after that between Christmas and new year window, I believe is the same limited release that 20th century women got. Mm. However, obviously, you know, yeah, that got more of a platform. Yeah. Uh, press attention all right chris i'm gonna put 60 seconds on the clock are you ready to sum up the wild and woolly world of film stars don't die in liverpool sure all right and begin Behold the time-spanning back-and-forth process of dying uh, for uh, Academy Award-winning actress Gloria Graham, told through the eyes of Peter Turner, who late in life was a lover of hers when they met while she was performing on the stage in London. He had no idea who she was or that she was an Academy Award-winning actress. He teaches her how to dance. It's actually kind of sexy. They have a late-in-life romance, and uh, meanwhile, she is uh, secretly very sick, having previously had a cancer diagnosis that she did not received chemotherapy for um and she uh once again uh uh has uh illness the movie is hopping back and forth kind of creating a mystery of when she knew that she was dying there there's not really a reason for this kind of back and forth process anyway he takes her to her his family home in liverpool to recuperate and eventually she gets on a plane back to the States and she passes away the day she arrives and uh, he continues his acting career. Only two seconds over. Chris File, welcome back to to punctuality with the, the 60 second plot description. It's not a plotty movie. No. There's this framing device of back and forth in time yeah. of, you know, she eventually takes him to Los Angeles or, you know, California. Yeah. Generalized California. I will um, say the old timey rear screen way that they do uh, them arriving in California is one of my favorite parts of the movie because it's so yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the bad visual effect of this movie and the way that it goes in and out of different yeah. memories is by design. I love it. Like it's not supposed to look sleek. I you love know, it. It's this yeah. mid-century affected yep. type of yep. romance of the movie yes. type of thing yeah. that I think sells you more on the romance than anything that actually happens. Because I think as far as things happening, this is not yeah. unfortunately an interesting Movie. I'll tell you my favorite things that happen in the movie. One is the rear, rear screen projection in Los Angeles. Two is, you mentioned, uh, when they're dancing to Boogie Oogie Oogie and Jamie Bell so is like, can't boogie no more. is like dropping to the floor doing the splits and like is just. He fakes the split though. It's so we're, hot. we're not judging. It's, it's so hot. hot. No, but it's the thing where you, you'd fake the split and come back up. Like it's a, it's a, it's like. That's not a, I bailed out on the split. That's a move. Your yeah. half leg that's not in the split is used to propel you yeah, back Yeah, it's up. a move. Yes, it's yes, a yes, move. Yes, yes. Um, it's the straight, it's the heterosexual split. Um, uh, uh, what else? Oh, um, when they go to see Alien, 
in the theater and she's laughing her ass off at she Alien. She loves Alien. Um, and everything to do with the Imelda Staunton and that Benning uh, uh, relationship in this, with uh, 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 his mom, Peter's mom, and uh, and Gloria sort of forming this bond as the mom is taking care of her through her uh, terminal diagnosis. I loved all of that. Um, everything else in this movie... I need to be, and like, this has nothing to do with the performances of Annette Benning and Jamie Bell, who I think are both, you know, doing very good work with what they're given. I tend to raise, and I hate doing this because like, I hate being, I hate being the person who's just like, well, like this movie is so fundamentally flawed at its root that like it, it never really had a chance. But I think there are perspective issues with the Peter Turner rendering of this relationship that make it hard to invest in the movie his character is so fucking sainted in this movie where he's like he's young he's hot he's into her he has no seemingly like doubts about this you know older woman he has no he's like so cool with it he's like fashionably bisexual and he's you know he's he sticks up for Fell her in love with her without knowing who she yeah was. he didn't know like the 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 side eye i am casting to he didn't know who she was right right i don't believe that um i have nothing to back it up but i don't believe it but he like he sticks up for her with her family and then he sticks up for her with his family and he you know defends her all the way and he's better to her than her own children were and all this sort of stuff he's caring for her he's not keeping her away from a doctor and like like, and a lot of these things may well be true i have a hard time believing that all of them are true and in and and regardless it's based on his book though that's the thing it's based on his book but like in his book he is the hero of this story and right i ultimately as a movie think it's less interesting when we're telling his story. This is the My Week with Marilyn problem. You know what I mean? Like, I'm here for Marilyn. I'm not here for the boy who fell in love with Marilyn. And, um... There's, and it's like it seems like that would be an audi- audience surrogacy thing, like the romance with the movie star. We can more relate. There's to the a way to do who that. Loves the movie star yeah. than the movie star themselves. There's a way like, to do that well, but this movie saints him so, like it places such a halo on top of his head, and at some point you're just like, well. Now I'm just like, well, you're telling your story, and you're, like, the greatest guy ever in your story. So, like, I kind of now reflexively don't believe you. So what am I going to do with that? And And you gain so much from, like, he doesn't, you know, say that he became the greatest actor. But, like, there is, you know, when the end of the movie is her going to America to die and him taking a bow on a stage production. It's like, you kind of have to interpret that, like... yeah. Their romance and her death, Whisper, made him a more successful actor, question mark. Um, I think this is a movie that is incredibly lucky to have not only 
as charming of a performer as Jamie Bell mm-hmm. in that role mm-hmm. because like that's one thing that my week Marilyn does not have your nemesis um, in fact in my, not my nemesis just like not a charming he's performer he's your nemesis oh, not man. a charming performer um i mean in the way that that character is insufferable in my week with Marilyn yeah. so is the actor <laughs> um the Jamie Bell's incredibly charming and i do think that there is really strongly developed chemistry between him and Annette Benning that is also surprising and because it's surprising it makes the romance work more on screen Mm -hmm. even as nothing interesting is happening and you are questioning the perspective that you're being given my thing is and we who were we talking about oh when we had Taylor on to talk about Love and Mercy just uh uh last week last week what sure time? last week um, time is a flat circle yeah. um talking about how we prefer bio biopics with a limited scope biopics that only cover maybe a certain window of a person's life and i still feel that way but I maybe want a different window of Gloria Graham's life. There's so many, like, this movie alludes to so many things, and some of them are tawdry. The whole thing with her marriage to Nicholas Ray, and then she, you know, two husbands later, marries his son from another marriage, who at one point was her stepson. And there are accusations that they got together when he was only 13 years old. And, and you know, it's tawdry, but it's fascinating and it's you know i would like a you know i would watch a movie that has to do more of that i would watch a movie that has to do with gloria graham's you know struggles within the industry and i know that there are like i would watch a broad biopic that like is you know yeah. the greatest hits of gloria graham yeah and then Probably this could more be so than yeah this feels like, and again, it just feels like this is a Peter Turner movie. Um, even though Benning, or it's is like great. if it's a limited scope biopic, it's limited just to her death, and it's like, when do we want to see that? I, ever? I, I didn't want to say this because it sounds callous, but I did text you last night that like I'm at the <laughs> point gonna, in the movie. I was going to call you out. I am at the point in the movie where she just dies for an hour and it's like, and it's mm-hmm. interspersed with flashbacks, but like it is, it's so suffocating at some point where you're just like, you're just like, and it's not like she's dying for like several years of her life. This is like a, a you know, fairly limited time frame, And the movie yeah. kind of drags it out and throws flashbacks in the middle. And the flashbacks by that point of the movie are this very typical, like, they get together and they break up and she gets a diagnosis and she doesn't, she's too proud to share it with him. And she's self-conscious that he's so much younger and hotter and Peter Turner. You know what I mean? Like and she can't play Juliet anymore. All this sort of stuff. And it's like, we're sort of trudging through the paces of, and by this point we know the term, the diagnosis is terminal. We know she's not going to like, come around and survive or whatever and it's just this kind of like long slow march this isn't a long movie but it feels longer than it is because it's this sort of just like slow march to this inevitable end and and that's why i'm partly like what do the flashbacks even serve in this movie it's like it really makes it feel like she is near death the whole movie, but yes. also makes it feel like this relationship went on for longer than it did. Yes. 
because why are you doing time jumps when it's all set it's a, within it's like the whole two year time? I was going to say the whole span of their relationship is the last two years of her life, and it does make it seem like it's a lot longer than that. And, um, and it also does. You're right. It makes it feel like because so much of her preoccupations are that she's old, that she's you know that they they look uh, foolish, and that he thinks of her as this like old lady and whatever. And it 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 contributes to this whole i this you know whole idea that you know she's dying throughout the whole movie and it's as i said suffocating at some point and it mm-hmm. doesn't really let you like like you know the best parts of the movie i said are the scenes where she's dancing or the scene where she's laughing at the movie or she's you know whatever and the mar- the part where there she's in the play and they're at the after party and they're walking through and the one guy who's an agent or a manager or a, a, you know director or something uh it greets her and he's very flirty and then she and peter walk past and peter whispers to her um i think whatever his name is i think that guy uh i think that guy wants to fuck you and he's not saying it accusatorially he's sort of like joshing her a little bit he's like i think he think that guy wants to fuck you and she goes honey everybody in this room wants to fuck me and i'm like yeah man like that energy let's let's see more of that gloria um and and I think the movie relies on little snippets of film from the actual Gloria Graham's career and like little, you know, headshots that we see of her or like a caricature of her on a lampshade from a restaurant in New York City. And those things are what the movie sort of like leans on for that, like, look at this once vibrant and young movie star. And it's like, bitch, you have Annette Benning. She can give you vibrant. She, like she's she was giving you mm-hmm. vibrant in several of these scenes. You don't need to, you know, lean on that as much. I don't know. I this movie disappointed me, I will say. I don't hate it, but I wanted, I mean, I wanted I think more from it. In terms of the like abject failure of it, I I I I think there's more appealing things going on in this movie for then like a movie that made something like a hundred thousand dollars or like a million dollars maybe at the box office would have just like the movies we've talked about and a lot of it is Annette Benning. she's uh, you can't you can throw her in crap and she is never giving you crap well and she Um, it's not like she for her husband's movies um, well, everyone's giving crap and rules don't apply. Um, I want to talk about it because she's not an actress who like works a ton. She's she's she doesn't like it's not like it's sparing, but like on Annette Benning performance, you're you're getting maybe at most two a year, and one of those is probably going to be a smaller one. You know what I mean? Like she's might be life itself, right? <laughs> Where she shows up. She has a sandwich. So and she gets hit by a bus. I this this question is sometimes a little more open-ended than than is uh, uh worth it and sometimes there isn't a really good answer. What's the first time you remember being aware of Annette Benning in a movie? Early. Um like either seeing a movie like or those... like being aware of her in like the marketing of a movie or you know what I mean like uh, in general. I mean, in like the marketing of a movie, it's an Amer- the American president. Okay. But I've definitely, I definitely saw her in things before then. I knew my dad liked the Grifters a lot, but I wasn't allowed to watch it. Right. And being an adult, I could see why. Yeah. Um, 
uh, but like, I remember we used to like rent the great outdoors all the we time. We would too. So that I think is the probably the first time I ever saw it. I remember the the marketing campaign, but especially the Oscar lead up to Bugsy. And she's not nominated for sure. Bugsy, but that's the movie where she and uh, uh, Warren Beatty uh, get together. But there was the clip from Bugsy. I I guarantee you it was the clip they showed on Siskel and Ebert. Um, where she's talking to, to Bugsy um, and she's kind of prickly with him. I imagine this is sort of early on. And she tells him, why don't you go jerk yourself a soda? My, oh, my, you're pretty ferocious where mom's concerned, aren't you? Yeah. The rest of the time, you're just another good-looking, sweet-talking, charm-oozing, fuck-happy fellow with nothing to offer but some dialogue. Dialogue's cheap in Hollywood, Ben. Why don't you run outside and jerk yourself a soda? And I remember that scene getting clipped a lot. And I'm like, this lady is something. Awesome. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, this lady's got a little bit of snap to her. And so then, yes, then I... You know, like, oh, that's the that's Dan Aykroyd's wife from <laughs> The Great Outdoors. And then, like, when I would see later on movies like The Grifters or Postcards from the Edge, you would see sort of early Benning. She's but so then, good in Postcards from the Edge in one scene. Yes. She's so good. Yes. Um, who sh- sh- her character is the one who is sleeping with Dennis Quaid behind yes. Meryl's back, right? Yes. 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 Um, and she I think sort of I like also had it in my mind too before I had even probably seen her in much more than the movies we're talking about, though I yeah. haven't seen Bugsy. Was that she was supposed to be Catwoman? Ah, uh, see, I don't remember hearing about that as much, but yes, that was definitely the case that um, that she was in the running to play Catwoman in Batman Returns, and yeah. um. Obviously, the role eventually goes to Pfeiffer. But yeah, I think then the next big thing, I remember seeing like the the trailers and the commercials for Love Affair, because that is her and Warren Beatty and Catherine Hepburn doing the remake of... An Affair to Remember. One of the... I mean, like, I remember my grandmother having on VHS An Affair to Remember, Love Affair, and Sleepless in Seattle. Just a whole cinematic universe right there. Have you seen An Affair to Remember? No. That shit is so wild, so stupid. Like, that's amazing. I mean, I can buy that people earnestly, like, love that movie as a romance, but it is goofy. It is real goofy. I can't remember whether it was The Critic or 30 Rock, but they were doing a, making a joke about... They do that lot in movies. An Affair to Remember, Sleepless in Seattle, and that remake of An Affair to Remember that I was in, A Affair to Remember. But no, I never saw a Love Affair, nor uh, An Affair to Remember. Love Affair um, is supposed to be a really, really bad remake. Yes. Yeah. But it has, but it's, I, it's the final movie of Catherine Hepburn. Exactly. That's why it's notable. Because um, Warren Beatty had yeah. to leave that he had to make that nice lady leave her house well she might not have been a nice lady but like couldn't just let her wow, live some, in retirement in peace has mark harris entered he had the to chat commit what's going on elder abuse and God. bring her into that bad movie all right um 
The Grifters is her first Oscar nomination. In 1990, she loses to Whoopi Goldberg. Um, her, ni- her 1990s are actually kind of interesting. Um, obviously, Bugsy, I mentioned, Love Affair. She's in Richard III. The, uh, the, who directed that Richard III? Is that Richard Eyre? No, Richard Longcrane. Um, but that's the Ian McKellen, uh, modernized version of Richard III. And it's her and, and, uh, McKellen and her and Robert Downey Jr. And it's very good. And I didn't see it till later. Um, she is transcendent in The American President. Uh, we've talked about the 1995 Best Actress race and how there wasn't enough room for all the 20 great performances by actresses that year. Um, she's everything she's like the ideal sorkin heroine in that like she's so (laughs) wonderful she's so she and michael douglas are perfect opposite each other it's just a great role it's a great performance i'll tell you exactly what happened here i got screwed i got the polls you didn't like the numbers so i got screwed she also has one of the great um PG thirteen fuck uh, iterances in the movie where she's the going American through president the has like seven PG thirteen fucks. No, does is it? I remember hers. She does he has also a fuck. Uh, Michael J. Fox has a fuck. Does he? Michael Douglas has a fuck. I'm pretty sure Martin Sheen has a fuck. There are. I'm going to so watch this movie with a counter next American time, president. and I'm going to I'm going to tally them all up because the I one think I remember there's at least four listeners it, can uh, can get at us with how many fucks there are in the American president in the scene where you just performed a flawless dramatic interpretation of Sidney Ellen Wade. She also is looking for her sweater that was her sister's so that she can leave and never come back. I go around scaring the hell out of Congress, making them think that the president's about to drive through a very damaging and costly bill. They'll believe me, right? Because I'm the president's Friday night girl. Now, I don't know if you can dip into that well twice, especially since I've lost all credibility in politics, but you never know. I might be able to just pull it off again. I might be able to give you just the leverage you need to pass some groundbreaking piece of crime legislation, like a mandatory three-day waiting period before a five-year-old can buy an Uzi. Oh, fuck the sweater. She'll have to learn to live with disappointment. Uh, we're going to do an exceptions episode on that. Join our Patreon. $5 a month and you'll get us talking about Sidney Ellen Wade. It'll be great. Um... Her her run from that, where it's like Mars Attacks, which is, we can go round and round in circles about, is Mars Attacks underrated or overrated? Because at any point, it's one or the other. Like, it's it went from underrated to overrated, and then the overrated went too far, or, or it went from underrated and then, like, redeemed, and then the redeemed went too far, so then it was overrated, and then... Then it went back to underrated a little bit. So, like, it's this right. constant circle of, are we appreciating Mars Attacks appropriately? I do think nobody is having as much fun in Mars Attacks as Annette Benning is having in Mars Attacks. That's a good way to put it. Um, she's in The Siege, which is a much more interesting movie than it is a good movie, if that makes sense. Like, it is a fascinating movie to watch in the sense of it's a post-9-11 movie that is made in 1998, which is kind of amazing <laughs> when you think about it. Um, uh, and fascinating to watch in that uh, in that regard. She's in the Neil Jordan movie In Dreams, which is ultimately, that's another movie where she co-stars with uh, Robert Tony Jr., in fact. Um, and not really successful, is not very well-reviewed. Um, but Good for her. That's the same year that she's in American Beauty, which is a phenomenon. It, you know, puts DreamWorks in the Oscar race and it 
uh, or gives DreamWorks Best Picture for the first time. And it has her on the precipice of winning Best Actress. I will sell this house today. She wins the the SAG. Wait, right? It was Hilary Swank won the Globe, and then she won the SAG. I think is how uh, is how it went. Maybe whatever. Going on to Oscar night, I think people were like 40, 52, 48 betting. Like it was still very very close, but I think people were leaning towards. It'll probably be Benning because she's in the Best Picture winner, and Kevin Spacey's probably going to lose to Denzel Washington for The Hurricane, so if they're going to want to give it to a lead actor from this movie, they're going to want to give it to Annette Benning. And, and she's ultimate- super pregnant. Doesn't everybody want to see her win and right. then have that to was- immediately go leave and deliver a baby? Like- right. There, that's always <laughs> this weird... We've had multiple pregnant Oscar winners uh, as of late, including Natalie Portman and, and Catherine Zeta-Jones. And in all of the run-up run, run up to that, there is always either somebody says this outright or there's this like weird unspoken allusion to the fact that like, what if their water breaks while they're accepting the Oscar? You know what I mean? I mean? Like there's this like a vision that people have of them like going into labor because of the like emotion of of winning an Academy Award. And it's like, I don't think that's going to happen. But, like, if it does, I guess it would be, like... Talk to a doctor. Any doctor. And see if that is even possible. Here's what I will say. Is somebody going into labor on stage at the Academy Awards is the only thing that would surpass the slap at this point. As, like, the wildest thing. I don't know if it would uh, even pass the Best Picture snafu. I feel like... Okay, how about this? Not only do they go into labor, but they have to deliver the baby on the stage because and it's... then the baby slaps someone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. Um, <laughs> the baby slaps Jonah Hill. That would be everybody's wants to see I don't Jonah think Hill he's get showing snapped. up the Oscars. Anytime no, probably soon. not. Um, God, what if the baby slapped somebody like Meryl? That would be then. All of a sudden, you'd really have some discourse. Like the baby slaps Meryl, and then Faye Dunaway barks at it that it's a little homosexual baby. <laughs> wow, we're really we're spinning out a scenario. Okay, so okay, the Oscar snafu though. I yeah. know I'm jumping ahead in time, but we mentioned it. One of my favorite memories of that moment that I actually kind of hate. It would I feel like it would have been just. You know, it obviously would have been so much more transcendent if Moonlight had just gotten the award and didn't have that whole situation happen. But um, one of my favorite notes of it happening in all of the, like, people breaking down the oral history second by second. of Oh, is when they reached out to Annette for comment? No, when, like, he's on the phone with his wife the whole time being like, this is what happened. And her comment apparently was, Warren, come home. (laughs) That's great. It's great. Um, So she does not win the Oscar for American Beauty. That is won by uh, upstart actress Hilary Swank. Who is she? She was on 90210 and she was on the next Karate Kid. Or if you're Roberto Benigni, Hilary Swank. Hilary Swank. Um, And then uh, uh, Annette Bening is like, well, 
sorry, everybody. I guess I didn't win, but how about I just star in a Mike Nichols movie as revenge? And it's like, well, you're going to star in the worst Mike Nichols movie. So sorry. (laughs) Um, uh, She's in What Planet Are You From? Which is sort of roundly dismissed. And then she's in only... Like, five more movies for the rest of the decade of the aughts. She's in Open Range with Kevin Costner, which is, like, a decidedly supporting role in a, you know, sort of low-key Western. Um, 2004, however... Well, we'll we'll skip around 2004. 2006, she's in Running With Scissors. We've done that episode. 2008, she's in the remake of The Women, Ill-Fated. We should find a way to talk about that, even though I don't think it ever had, like, real Oscar buzz. But we should find a way to talk about it. We'll be talking about it for Annette Bening, and here we are. Yes. Uh, Have you seen... Okay, have you seen the remake of The Women? I have not, because we've been like, maybe we'll eventually do it. All right, all right. Put a pin in that. Um, And then she's in the Rodrigo Garcia movie... Uh, mother and Child with, uh, among others, Naomi Watts. And I think that's an underrated movie. Have you ever seen that movie? I don't trust Rodrigo Garcia. Anymore. I generally Sorry. don't either, but I think it's an underrated movie, at least for some of the performances. I think she and Naomi Watts are both very good. Anyway, 2004, uh, she's in a movie called Being Julia. It is a decidedly um, sort of l- like not incredibly arresting costume drama. It's directed by Itzvan Zabo, who is known for, at least with me, um, directing the other Sunshine. The other Sunshine movie. The other, the the, the costume drama Sunshine. Um, but he is a Hungarian filmmaker? Yes, he's a Hungarian filmmaker. Um, she plays... A uh, lady of the stage. She's a, isn't that another one where she's a lady of the stage and she's dating a younger man? Isn't she dating? Um, isn't that part of the plot of being Julia? Doesn't she have an affair with a younger man? Anyway, the movie's defenders keep telling me I need to rewatch the movie because I hated it the first time I saw it uh-huh. and uh, didn't necessarily love her in it either. But I I think that could be the plot. It is conceivable. That's that's part of yeah. the plot. The thing about being Julia is 2004 is shaping up to be one of those years where people say it's a weak year for best actress. And you can't see me, but I'm making scare quotes when I say that. What that means is it is not a year where there are a ton of actress contenders from traditional Oscar avenues. So we're going to have to look elsewhere and we're going to have to look at smaller movies and more outside of the way and one of those was being julia and i think people were like oh well annette benning has this costume drama and she's never won before and she is kind of owed from the be from the american beauty year and it's a little bit like julianne moore and still alice where everybody decides that oh this would be a good thing to happen the thing about that is julianne moore is quite good in still alice and so anyway, buzz sort of starts to accumulate around Annette Benning, and people are like, well, Imelda Staunton's kind of having a breakthrough, but it's not quite like an Oscar-winning breakthrough. It's not like there's nothing, there's no glamorous angle to that or whatever. So uh, Catalina Sandino Moreno is this like breakthrough star from a Sundance movie, but there's there's again there's there's not really star power in that kate winslet is doing such good work in eternal sunshine of the spotless mind but that movie is way too weird to actually win so i guess it's going to be annette benning you know nobody's really enthusiastic about this movie only like you know 
Oscar voters are kind of the only people seeing this movie. But it's Annette Benning. Who's going to complain? And then who comes moseying down the dirt road from her little run-down shack with Margot Martindale yelling at her <laughs> is very who? very last minute too like an incredibly this is one of those movies where Clint Eastwood always has the reputation for making his movies very quickly because he like takes two takes and he's like oh print you know what i mean and he's you know yeah. good enough for me um and like famously makes movies very very quickly and so all of a sudden this Clint Eastwood movie materializes at the very, very end of 2004. And who was the star of this movie? But Annette Benning's new nemesis, Hillary, Hillary Swank. Swank. Hillary Swank with the boxing gloves on. And people are like, oh, well, she plays a boxer. That's interesting. And like, I guess there's a physical transformation angle. And then people see the movie. And what happens when they see the movie? They find out that she falls down and she breaks her neck. And she eventually gets mercy killed by Clint Eastwood. And then everybody's like, well, fuck. As Terry Schiavo is in the press. <laughs> it's over. The race is over. Hillary Swank is winning another Academy Award. We're so sorry, Annette Benning, but you cannot compete with the way that Million Dollar Baby ends. And so Hillary Swank wins Oscar number two. And all of a sudden, Annette Benning is 0 for 3. And you can't argue with it. Because it's not like you can be like justice for being Julia. Well, here's here. I, I have a few notes on that. Let's hear. First of which, Hillary Swank is better in Million Dollar Baby than she is in Boys Don't Cry. Whoa. I would very strongly argue. All right. Um, and like a Million Dollar Baby, good movie. And I say that as someone who is not on uh, a defender of Clint Eastwood's movies in the past 20 years. Wait, Chris, what's I'm that not... on your t-shirt? Does it say Makushla? What's going uh, on? Wait a uh, second. It says, my darling, my blood. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> it says, they're all, they all look at you and life. Um, also, absent Hillary Swank in that race, if that movie does get saved for 2005 like uh-huh. it was initially supposed to do before yeah. those test screenings were through the roof and Warner Brothers didn't really have anything so they are like, mm-hmm. you know what, we're going to put out this movie, blah, blah, blah. When Annette Penning was the de facto frontrunner at the beginning of the season, there wasn't a lot of enthusiasm about it, and partly, I would say mostly, because mm. of the movie. And I do wonder if, absent Hillary Swank from this race, if Imelda Staunton would have been able to I create a type of grounds- yeah. groundswell. Yeah, I could see it, for sure. Because like, even up until Oscar morning, there were a, a large portion of people that were like, Imelda Staunton deserves it, but Hillary Swank's. I think if we didn't have the baggage from the 99 Oscar race, we would probably not just assume that Annette Benning was second place in 2004. You know what I mean? But the story is so good. Like, it's, like, it's one of my right, favorite... Right, right. Oscar narratives to kind of like make a joke about what did I say the other day? And that Benning has Nyad coming out. And you know who has three movies coming out between now and the end of the year? I don't care how non-buzzy they are. It's Hillary Swank. And she's right. Well, I mean, like one of them is like a Christian movie. One of them is going to be put in the Oscar. I think two of them. One of them is overtly Christian. The other one is like Hillary Swank is Eric, like Schmerin Schmakovich. Like, and and I'm not sure what the third one is. But, like, it's... 
it's, uh, it's, the, it's the, the third fun. one is like uh uh it, it's um I don't know uh White Goose or something. <laughs> no, there is an actual movie called White Bird coming out. Um but it's 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 just kind of hilarious that like all of a sudden and that Benning is 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 amassing Oscar buzz and there's Hillary Swank and it's not like every year there's an Annette Benning movie and a Hillary Swank movie. These movies like they kind of don't come around that often. And it's like the transverse of Venus where all of a sudden like Venus and earth and the sun are lined up like every few years. And it's crazy to me anyway. um, uh, We're in for it yet again. All right. So next Oscar nomination and the most recent one as of yet is uh, Annette Bening and Julianne Moore star as a lesbian couple in Lisa Cholodenko's The Kids Are Alright in 2010. People don't really talk about what an unlikely... And hit is the wrong term because that was one of the like low box office earners in that like famously lucrative box office or uh, best picture class of 2010. But the fact that Lisa Cholodenko, who is, like, not a – even among indie directors, I don't think anybody was, like, one of these days Lisa Cholodenko is going to break out with a banger. You know what I mean? She was making high art and she was making um, – Well, she's she, now going to make the beautiful adaptation, so put a pause on that thought. Like the Carol King beautiful? Yes. Ooh, interesting. Which um, I'm also, like – Ah, I want Lisa Cholodenko to be making Lisa Cholodenko movies, but she might make the beautiful movie better than yeah. other people might. She also did Olive Kittredge, which was uh, pretty uh, well. Well, Olive uh, Kittredge, done. written by Elizabeth Strout, which like pause for a second. I am becoming an Elizabeth Strout stan. I am reading my third Elizabeth Strout book nice. in a month. Like fantastic. Um, as I smile and nod at book talk. Yes, yes. Books. Lizzie Barton yes. girlies, get at me. Um, all right. Um, but the kids are all right. Being this like fairly like straightforward, just like, yep, they're a lesbian couple. They have kids. They have like a fairly messy, uh, plot development where Julianne Moore's character has the affair with Mark Ruffalo for like, none of this seems to harm this movie you would you would expect a movie like that to get discoursed to death and that to be sort of you know uh scandalize people and whatever and for whatever reason in 2010 everybody was like yeah cool yep into it yep i'm gonna go see it we're gonna like it we like the kids are all right we like annette benning enough that we're gonna nominate her for best actress we like the film enough that we're gonna nominate it for best picture and I think that's kind of rad, and I kind of wonder if, like, somebody, like, sprinkled fairy dust over the whole country, and we're like, just be cool about this one. And, like, everybody (laughs) just decided to be cool about it. I mean, I think the movie allows all of that to be messy in a way that is, like... I don't want to say uh, pushes aside critique of it, but, like, I think people appreciate that the movie... yeah isn't some conclusive thing it allows yeah. like on a relationship level it allows it to be yeah. messy and yeah. uh you know yeah so unresolved in a way that is actually very satisfying as a viewer once again perception sort of settles in that Annette is second place in 2010 that uh, Natalie Portman ultimately wins for Black Swan I don't have 
any problem believing that Nicole that uh, Annette Benning would be second place in that race. The other nominees that year are Jennifer Lawrence for Winter's Bone and her big breakthrough, Michelle Williams for Blue Valentine, and Nicole Kidman for Rabbit Hole. I think Benning probably is second place. What probably, do you think? I would say distant. Second it's place. one of my favorite best actress lineups. I think it's all bangers, yeah. and yeah. I think everybody's great. But Benning is never really going to win that one. Like, Portman's got that one pretty locked up from an early, early stage, I feel I like. I think Benning was also at the disadvantage. Like, for me, and, like, yes, I say this as, like, Julianne Moore is, like, the, like, top three for me. Yeah. I, for me, I feel like it was always right movie, wrong performance, getting the awards attention. I... Uh, I that. like them both. I think I would have probably tried to nominate them both, even though that, right. that but really I think that that's, the category. that's one of the things that even if, uh, you know, I know I'm in a minority saying that, but I think even if you don't think that, she is still, for whatever reason, because, like, people just don't think that people, uh, that a movie can have two leads anymore, right? right. that she's competing with her own co-star in a way, even though her mm-hmm. co-star is not nominated. Yeah. No, I agree with that. So, uh, so now uh, Annette Benning is 0 for 4. And now it becomes, at that point, it becomes like a thing. Annette Benning has never won an Oscar. If she were to then work at the, <laughs> at the pace that an Amy Adams does, then I think people would be would probably have been talking about it a lot more over the last decade or so. But she goes from The Kids Are All Right and does generally, in, in film, a series of supporting roles. She's a supporting character in Ruby Sparks, a movie that we talked about last week and I really like. She's in uh, Ginger and Rosa, which is the Sally Potter movie with Elle Fanning and Alice Englert. And... I think she's really good in that. Like, that's another one where it's just like, she's only in a handful of scenes, but I think she's really good. Um, she's in our beloved Danny Collins playing uh, a representative of the, the Hilton uh, Honors program. Of the Hilton Honors program. She's really um, <laughs> representing the company. Quite she's well. Miss Hilton Honors. <laughs> and then here comes 2016. In 2016, she has a small role in. The next Warren Beatty movie, where we had we we had waited so long, and um, ultimately disaster. she's not a really, but like the disaster kind of elides her because she's in such a small part of it, and right, right, right. Um, we got to talk about rules don't apply at some point. We got to do that Ooh. on the flagship, yeah. Um, but that same year, she's in the new movie from Mike Mills, and now Mike Mills, I have talked to you before about how I am not a big fan of beginners. I don't think it's a bad movie, but it like it's a movie that I felt like I should have connected to more. It's a movie with like, you know, this uh, older gay character played by Christopher Plummer, and um, I've always felt a little bit alienated by the Ewan McGregor performance in that movie. I don't like it. <laughs> it's, it's a recent re- rewatch of this movie uh, had me on board with the things you're saying and then he's of course married to miranda july who's another filmmaker i just don't get i still have to see that latest one that everybody says i will like i do think you will like that what is it called 
Uh, Kajillionaire. Kajillionaire. I wanted to say Kaleidoscope, but it's Kajillionaire. I gotta see Kajillionaire. But anyway, up until this point, the 20th Century Women's open, 20th Century Women opens, I'm like, I'm just not a Mike Mills person. And then the trailer for the movie comes out, and it looks so fucking good. Um, it's Annette Benning, uh, is a single mother in Santa Barbara in the Jimmy Carter years of the late 1970s, um, living at this sort of like, not quite a flop house, but this sort of like fixer upper, uh, place where like wayward souls have come, where it's like Billy Crudup and, and Greta Gerwig. And then Al Fanning is her son's friend who's like always around and he's in love with her and she's, you know, ready to, you know, go explore the space in Santa Barbara with, with uh, regard to uh, other people. And, and Annette Bening is just trying to raise her son without a father in a way where she wants him to have good influences. And so she wants, you know, Greta Gerwig and Elle Fanning and Billy Crudup to all be good influences on her son. And this all sounds a little bit pat, but you watch the movie and it works so fucking well. Everything I didn't Mm -hmm. like about beginners really fucking clicks for me with 20th century women it's one of my favorite movies of the 20 teens and i don't know you your turn to gush about it because i love it so oh much. <laughs> yeah that's a movie that's hard to talk about without crying yeah um a solid masterpiece i think part of the reason why it works so well is that there's other factors beyond just the personal in there. I think it's a very political movie. I think there is a lot to it that is about kind of a paradigm shift in the culture. And I think that's part of the character she plays, you know, her kind of weird displacement that's Mm -hmm. not, you know, Mm -hmm. the type of dramatic emotional or psychological displacement that yeah. you know you usually see in movies but like it is like this weird moment in time for this very particular type of left-leaning woman who yeah. you know there's the scene where everybody's like it's jimmy carter right they're watching they're the like, carter oh. speech and everybody's they're like, like that guy is so cooked he's yeah. over it's yeah. done and she sits there so confused in the room She's... and it's like i was actually very moved yeah. and it's just like it's a great scene she she like sees she's like experiencing in this real way at this time where she wants to be there for her son that she might be out of touch with something mm-hmm. that you know uh, she doesn't understand these people that are around her son but she knows that they are all in their own way good for him yeah um, i find very moving uh, it's interesting we're talking about this in sort of the wake of Barbie and Greta Gerwig is kind of, you know, on top of the world at the moment. Um, where she just went to uh, Renaissance last night. Oh, was she at, at MetLife with uh... Oh, I thought I sent you I thought I sent you that photo. No. Uh, people are sharing uh videos uh and uh photos of Greta Gerwig at My Instagram was inundated with party bus after party bus of people going to MetLife. Hell to yeah, I wish Beyonce. I was there. Um, but anyway, we talk, and rightly so, about Greta Gerwig's 
collaborations with Noah Baumbach before she began directing with uh, Frances Ha and Mistress America in terms of her sort of formation as an artist, because she co-wrote those movies. And I think her stamp is very much on those movies, authorially, even though she did not direct them. And I would love for somebody to ask her about the process of making 20th Century Women so shortly before she makes Lady Bird. I imagine, at least. This was released the year before, so I imagine that she uh, films this movie before at least she shoots Lady Bird. I could be wrong. Um, but if that was the case, I would love to know if this making this movie had any effect on her, because there are hints of you know the wisdom in this movie that show up in Lady Bird and, and Little Women, and I don't know. I think I would just be interested. I think there's a continuum that maybe exists from Frances Ha to 20th Century Women to uh, Lady Bird and and Little Women. Do you know what I mean? Am I am I totally sure? Sure, 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 yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Anyway, back to Annette. Uh, she doesn't get nominated. She's sort of a last minute snub. Her Amy Adams is the more last minute snub. I think by the time Oscar nominations came yeah. out, people were a little bit more pessimistic about Annette, uh, that she was going to probably get left off, which is how it happened. And it's a bummer. And like I said, then uh, film stars don't die in Liverpool is the next year. And then since then, small or not small role, but like the seagull was not a very big role, small role in life itself. She gets a Golden Globe nomination for playing Diane Feinstein in her more lucid uh, uh, days uh, in the report, which the buzz was there. We're probably going to end up doing the report at some point. It's not a bad movie, but it's... That movie's a snooze. I liked it. I thought it was good. Um, We saw that together. No. In basically like the attic of the light box in one of those private screening rooms. That's right. And you were like, I liked it. I was like... I'm ready to go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's It certainly is not a great loss that she didn't get nominated for that, no. like it is with, with something like 20th Century Woman. Um, you mentioned she's in Captain Marvel as Marvel. Remember the revelation? Is just, oh, right. stupid. Her, like, call sign was Marvel or whatever. Um, she's in a very small little movie that I also saw in Toronto called Hope Gap. Her and she's uh, good in that Bill movie. Nye. She is good in that movie. She's got a, she's, she's going for an accent in that movie and it takes a second to sort of acclimate to well, it. Well, I didn't realize it was based on that play retreat from Moscow before, oh. until like I'm halfway through the movie. Um, otherwise I might've seen it at that festival. She's in death on the Nile in 2022. She gets overshadowed by, um, a wayward Gal Gadot line reading <laughs> that swallowed that movie. Oh my god! Did you see Jerry and Marge go large? I feel like Katie Rich Hell or somebody no, like that I said not it was pretty cute. That. I love you, Annette. I am not watching. I that. feel like somebody we know, and it might have been Katie, said that it was cute. Katie Rich, get back to us if that wasn't in fact you. But anyway, she's got uh, two movies coming up. One of which they're both actually going to be at TIFF. Uh, Nyad, we mentioned, she plays. A woman who swam the distance from the first woman to swim from Cuba to the United States. And she's a distance swimmer. And it's her. And it's Jodie Foster. And I am could not be more excited for this movie. It's a Netflix movie, yes. But um, they still do 
good Oscar campaigning for like a handful of movies, not for all of their movies, but for a handful of movies. And we hope this is one of the handful. Is the director say. pair behind this movie. Yeah. Who I are can't they? confess to loving their uh, documentaries, but uh, oh, they're the very free solo curious people. to see what they do with a fiction film. I liked free solo for as much as I had like, you okay. know, uh, frustrations with the main guy in Free Solo. I thought it was a well done movie. I thought it was a very well done movie. And this is another movie where sort of like you know individual pushes themselves to the you know their physical limitations and why is she doing it and you know this whole kind of thing. So um, I think it holds the potential for us to see a different kind of performance from Annette Benning. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why we love her so much is like she is such a distinct performer and gives like such an Annette Benning line reading in yes. you know, and no matter what type of movie she's doing or what type yes. of performance she's giving. But I do think when you look at her best work, yes. they are distinctly different performances. Yeah. I think that's right. And Nyad could also be something a little different. Yeah. She's also in uh Chris Pine's movie Poolman. Poolman. Um, Poolman. It's a, a sequel to Birdman. <laughs> it's about uh Bill Pullman when he goes to Sweden. <laughs> Bill Pullman on an Arctic uh vacation. It, it's about it's a movie about Bill Pullman meeting Paul Verhoeven for the first time. And uh <laughs> ich, ich Bill Pullman. Um anyway. Uh, the logline is actually kind of interesting. A man tending to the swimming pool, whatever, to the swimming pool is an interesting way to put it, uncovers a sizable water heist, one in the same vein as Chinatown. I'm in. Um, it's like a hundred minutes. I, I'll be writing about it. The cast uh, rules. Chris Pine, Annette Benning, Danny DeVito, Ariana DeBose, Jennifer Jason Lee, DeWanda Wise, uh, Ray Wise, and Juliette Mills. I'm, you, you sold me. I'm in. Um, uh, directorial. It's, it's it's his first movie he's directed, right? He hasn't directed anything else, has he, Mr. Chris Pine? No, it's his debut. Fantastic. What if she also plays Diane Feinstein in this? <laughs> as as a, the, the Diane Feinstein's career it goes owner all the way up of a to pool. the state senate, something. All right, um, I'm into that. I'm very excited about that. All right, so back to film stars don't die in Liverpool. It is a movie. Wherein Annette Benning plays Oscar winner Gloria Graham. I want to get into Gloria Graham in a second, but before we do, I want to play a game that I have devised for you. Oh. Called Film Stars Don't Die, They Get Reincarnated. Um, <laughs> essentially, this is a game about actresses who have played Oscar winning actresses. Uh, we've talked about. Uh, the phenomenon of Oscar winners playing Oscar winners. That's not quite this. what this is. You're going to be guessing the names of actresses, but they don't necessarily have to be Oscar-winning actresses. They only have to have played Oscar-winning actresses. So, in this game, I am going to give you two other roles that this actress has played. So then you have to, from those two roles, guess the actress and then guess the Oscar winner who they played in another movie. Fabulous. All right? So it's not unlike Alter Egos, but it's a little bit of a, a shift. Alter okay. Actress. Alter Actress. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So if you're ready, we can begin. I'm going to start easy and they get harder as they go. Okay? Sure. Let's do this. To start... The roles are Queen Elizabeth I and Carol Aird. 
This is Kate Blanchett, who played Catherine Hepburn in The Aviator. That's exactly how I want you to answer. Thank you very much. Well done. Okay, next one. The pair of roles are Evelyn Stoker and Chase Meridian. Uh, this is Nicole Kidman, who played Oscar-winning actress. Oh, TV also counts. Oh. Uh, Grace Kelly in Grace of Monaco. There we go. Okay, yes, TV also counts. I should have said that at the outset. Okay, next one. The roles are Motormouth Maybell and Matron Mama Morton. <laughs> this is Queen Latifah, who played... Huh. What Oscar-winning actress has she played? I will tell you, the options are pretty limited. Right. Doesn't Monique play Hattie McDaniel in Bessie, or is she just in Bessie? I think she's just in Bessie. I need. I still need to see Bessie. Um, mm. This has got to be some supporting role that I'm not familiar with. Who do you think she plays? It can't be Hattie McDaniel. Who do you think she plays? I mean, I would guess maybe Hattie McDaniel? Correct. I don't think you've in... seen the thing that she plays Hattie McDaniel in. Oh. Can I can I get a Hail Mary and you tell me what it is? Yes. No, yeah, if it's yeah, if you don't know it, you don't know it. It's uh Ryan Murphy's Hollywood. Uh, oh, did not watch that shit. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um not but you got that. Hattie McDaniel, so very well done. Okay. Yeah, your yeah, next yeah, pair yeah, of yeah. roles are Evelyn Mulray and Bonnie Parker. Mm. Evelyn Mulray does not ring many bells. Bonnie Parker, pretty basic name, but I wonder if I will get there. Bonnie Parker. Right, right, right. Um, as in a titular Bonnie. Mm-hmm. Bonnie, why am I only thinking Bonnie Bedelia? That is a person... Uh, Frankie and Bonnie. Um, <laughs> not Bonnie. necessarily Frankie and Bonnie, but maybe flip those around and and Bonnie and Clyde Faye Dunaway, who has played uh, Joan Crawford in Mommy Dearest. There we go. We got you there. All right. What's the what was the first one? Is that like her network character? Evel- Evelyn Mulray is her character in Chinatown. Ah. Uh. Uh, the r- next one, the roles are Morticia Adams and Velma Kelly. Well, this is Catherine Zeta-Jones, who played <laughs> famously Olivia de Havilland. Litigiously. Yes, yes litigiously <laughs> Olivia de Havilland in Feud. Um, I thought I would throw you with uh, Morticia, uh, because she's she plays Morticia in the awful Wednesday on uh, Netflix. You will not catch me watching that show. Yeah, Sorry. You're fine. Okay. The roles are Lola Johnson and Katie Heron. Oh, this is uh Lindsay Lohan in, um, Oh, uh, <laughs> the Elizabeth Taylor, uh, uh, lifetime movie. Yes. Liz and Dick. She played Elizabeth Taylor. All right. Yeah. Next pair of roles are Guinevere and Sabrina Fairchild. Oh. Um, I mean, Guinevere is a um, 
That's uh, Hamlet's mother, correct? No? No, that's Gertrude, right? Gertrude. Guinevere is a Shakespearean character, though. What was the second one again? Sabrina Fairchild. Sabrina Fairchild, which I don't think is of Sabrina, so not um, Audrey Hepburn or Lena Olin. But... Hmm. Oh, you're Sabrina. all you're all at, at, at betwixt and between on this one. <laughs> um, I don't know what to. I don't know where to nudge you first because you're making some incorrect assumptions on a couple of these things. Okay, uh, so it it could be Audrey Hepburn or Lena Olin. Guinevere? No, Guinevere is uh, first night. This is Lena Olin. You're absolutely not thinking of the right actress. Oh, okay. Never mind. Guinevere. No, that's that's not King Arthur's. No, you're thinking of the right movie. You are just naming the wrong actress. Oh. In both of those movies. Really? The yes. original Sabrina was not Audrey Hepburn. No, the original Sabrina was Audrey Hepburn. But it's not Lena Olin in the new one, right? And it's not Lena Olin as Guinevere. You're you're thinking of a. It's a different actress. Not Lena Olin. First Night is not Lena Olin. No. Is this like seriously like a who do you Doug think Ree Lena Scott Olin is type of thing for me? Confusion for me. Who do you think Lena Olin is? She's the she's the female lead of First Night. What other things has Lena Olin been in? The Sabrina remake. And what else? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> do you think Lena Olin was in the Three Colors movies? No. Who was? That's Juliette Binoche. And? Uh, 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 Julie Delpy. And? Who's the third one? Um, what was her name? Now am I wrong? I better not be wrong. This will be egg on both our faces. Not gonna be egg on my face if it was Lena Olin. Well, it's not Lena Olin. It's definitely not Lena Olin. Um, hold on. Oh, okay. Well, it's not Lena Olin, but I'm also thinking of the wrong person. Okay, this person is not in the Three Colors movie. Forget about the Three Colors movies. I was wrong about that oh one. Oh my god. Um, This person was in Legends of the Fall. Lena and... Olin. No! And Samilla's Sense of Snow. And... She was in Inland Empire, eventually. The The mom from... I know who killed me. Is that not Lena Olin? I that might be Lena Olin. No, it's no. You're thinking no, and she isn't. I know who killed me. You're just absolutely naming this person wrong. <laughs> this is great. It's this woman. This is great. <laughs> I know who she is. I know this actress. But I just I want you to look up on your phone Lena Olin. Just just look up and look at Lena Olin's face and tell me if that's who you're thinking of. <laughs> who have I, Doug Ree Scott? Yep. Uh, with that other guy. Oh, that is not who I'm yeah. thinking. <laughs> yep. Lena Olin. Lena Olin is married to Lassa Hallstrom, yes. right? Yes, yes, exactly. God damn it. Who are Sorry, you? Sorry, Lena of? Olin and this other actress who definitely I have conflated. Um, and they don't even look alike at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is fantastic. This is my this favorite is so thing we've ever well. done. Okay, uh, I know who she is. I Julia Ormond. There we Jesus go. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. 
You were giving me all of Julia Ormond's movies and being like, Lena Olin was in this and she was in that. Um, <laughs> I don't look anything alike. Say it again. <laughs> Is it not right? What's her, what's her character? Cheryl name? Pandora Box. What's the character's name she Cheryl played? Cheryl Canning. Is that not it? Jensie! It was Julie Delpy, by the way, who I thought was in Three Colors White, but it's no. not. Yeah, no, okay. no, no, no. Uh, that was driving me crazy. The third actress, who was the least likely yeah, to be it was Irene. It was Irene Jacob. No. Um, Irene Jacob. Yeah. Sorry. Anyway. All right. Next one. Julia Ormond. I should get to not have to do an IMDb game this week. <laughs> You're going to pull out Julia Ormond for my... <laughs> All right, your next pair. I was going to give you the hard... There's a hard version and an easy version of this next one. I want to give you the hard version to see if you know it, and then I'll move on to the easy one. All right. uh, the pair of roles are Michaela Odone and Princess Wencesia Carino. What? Yeah, okay. The pair of roles are Annie Savoy and Janet Weiss. Susan. Yes. Playing... Yes. Betty Davis. Yes. Annie Savoy is uh, Bull Durham. Janet Weiss is Rocky Horror Picture Show. You had no idea on the other two. Michaela O'Donnell is her character in Lorenzo's Oil. And Princess Wencesia Carino is who she played in Children of Dune. Okay, we're moving on. We're moving on. Oh, God. Um, yeah, Susan Sarandon played Betty Davis and Feud Betty and Joan. Okay, next one. Fiona Gallagher and Christine Daae. This is Emmy Rossum. In this when is was tough. she allowed to play an Oscar winning? This actress? is tough. This is tough. Did I will she... say it's a TV movie, and she, I think, was a child performer. Did she play like Judy Garland? You're so close. No, Judy doesn't have an acting Oscar. It was me. Uh, you're Tammy Blanchard played young Judy Garland in the Judy Davis one expertly, but um, you're right that it was the younger version of an Oscar winning actress in a TV movie. Who might she have played? She like young Shirley Temple. No, it's who an would act- have had a movie on TV. This person's surname has been used in this game so far. Huh? Like famously shares a surname with another famous actress. Oh, Audrey Hepburn? Yes, Audrey Hepburn. Okay. She was Emmy Rossum was the younger Jennifer Love Hewitt in the one where Jennifer Love Hewitt played oh. Audrey Hepburn. All right. Couple more. Okay. This one this is another one where a harder pair and an easier pair, but I'm if you know this you know it. Um Marianne Singleton and Laurie Sullenberger. Oh, Laura Linney as, um, mm, mm. I should know this. I am the preeminent Laura Linney stan. Think Um, outside the box on this one. Is it television? Yeah, but even think outside the box when it comes to television. Damn. Um, it's not another, no, she's not been in Ryan Murphy shit. Um, nope. Think outside the box in terms of television. What do you mean? Um, Are you pulling out some, like, drunk history thing for me? No. I would say we would need to cite this, especially in the IMDb game, and not just because it's television. 
Oh, it's a voice. Yes. A voice on television. Is it like Bojack Horseman? Not animated. Oh, she's just on a phone. Laura Linney constantly stuck on the phone. No, it's in a documentary. Oh, uh, uh, The Last Film Stars. The Last Movie Stars. She voices... The Last Movie Stars, yeah. She voices Joanne Woodward. She voices Joanne Woodward in The Last Movie Stars. I knew you loved that, so I thought I would... Uh... Have you watched it yet? Yes. That was wonderful. That was my packing uh, all my shit in New York movie back in December, so... Um, it is the most theater kid thing I have ever seen. Yeah, it's po- great. Brackets positive. Who was the, who? Would, who did they have doing Gore Vidal's voice? It was Brooks Eshmankus, maybe. It was yes. So and, oh my god, Brooks Eshmankus. Brooks Marvin Hamilton is the is like a reason to watch it. It's so he's so he's hundred percent delicious. Special. He should have gotten some type of fucking Emmy for it. It's so hundred percent. I absolutely agree with you. Okay, it was the thing that made me say our generation of gay men needs a Gore Vidal. Yes, and we don't have one. There are several gay men who think they're our generation's Gore Vidal. They are not. All right. Um, are you just yelling at uh, who are you yelling at this time? I don't know. I was gonna I'm make... yelling at several people. Yeah, okay. All right. Anyway, two roles. Chris Jenner and B. Arthur. What? Chris Jenner and B. Uh, this Arthur. is Alexis Michelle. That's you're getting cute. What's the uh, Oscar winning role? Uh, uh uh Joan Crawford. Oh, actually, that is true. There's another yeah. one. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that, but you're totally right. She played Joan in Joan the Unauthorized Musical. Uh, she played Alphaba. Not an Oscar winner. <laughs> <laughs> no, who did she win Snatch Game with? Liza. 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 All right, last one. That is a C plus Liza. Every, that is the Liza that every gay man thinks that they can do. I don't disagree. Uh, she should have won for Chris Jenner. Anyway, um... Last one. Marsha Clark and Vicki Hiller. This is hard. Sarah Paulson. Yes. Uh, who played... I will say... Someone in Feud. Uh-huh. Now, I, I think you can work Feud. this out. Okay, why would somebody... Why would an Oscar-winning character be in Feud? Because they were nominated against uh-huh. Joan and Betty? Uh-huh. Who do we think? Who, like... Who would now have I forget who's nominated against Joan and Betty? Who would have who would have been a Best Actress nominee around that time? The winner? <laughs> no, actually, the winner was Anne Bancroft, and I didn't recognize the name. Of oh, the Anne Bancroft didn't show up to the ceremony. Um, um, but who? This person had many Oscar nominations. Geraldine Page. Yes, Geraldine Page. Very good. That's a good casting, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Sarah Paulson, come back to us, please. All right. Um, That's the end of the game. I love... That was worth it just for Lena Olin that and Julia was, Ormond. That was one of the most unwell segments of this show we have ever had. I cannot believe that we are probably going to have a two-hour episode on Full oh, Stars Don't Die in Love. It's going to be longer, I bet you. All right, anyway, because we haven't even gotten into... What have we not gotten? We've gotten all the... Jamie Benichon, Bell. By the way. Jamie we Bell. Haven't talked... Yeah. I sent you the clip last night of Jamie Bell winning the BAFTA for Billy Elliot with his frosted hair, with his frosted tips. Um, and Very 2000. 
and acting very mature when he was like, I'd like to thank Doug at working title and like all these, like he was just very uh, professional. It was very funny. Um, presented the award by Goldie Hawn. As I said, uh, who among us would not want to be presented an award by Goldie Hawn? It's the uh, platinum experience of the awards show. Um what do we want to say? He was nominated for the BAFTA for Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. He lost to... He was the sort of... I feel like everyone's... Like, every BAFTA lineup these days is, like, four people from the Oscar race and then a... Somebody from Great Britain. Somebody who's, like... <laughs> who's a local sort of fave, right? And so this... Uh, in 2017, Gary Oldman wins for Darkest Hour as he does at the Oscars. Uh, Timmy Chalamet for Call Me By Your Name, Daniel Day-Lewis for Phantom Thread, Daniel Kaluuya for Get Out. They all are also Oscar nominees. And then, surprise little uh, local choice is Jamie Bell for Film Star Time Time Liverpool. Who did he replace? Oh, he replaced Denzel Washington. For Roman J. Israel, who was a late... The never-nominated-by-BAFTA Denzel Washington. Well, we raise, um, a, we raise a skeptical eyebrow on that one. Uh, Denzel Washington would be my winner uh, from that lineup. That's who gets. I think that's a really strong lineup. I am somebody who I am a Darkest Hour fan, so um, I think of that lineup, it's a tough call for me between Chalamet and Kaluuya. I think they're both aces in those movies. Call me by your name, by the way. Was so, uh, film stars don't die in Liverpool is a Sony Pictures classics movie. We've talked about them before and how sometimes they will just latch onto a movie and ride it to, uh, you know, a, a nomination or, or whatever. Uh, Sony's pictures, Sony Pictures classics did not cover themselves in glory in 2017. I feel like we all kind of agree that they, in one way or another, botched the Call Me By Your Name release where they had this incredibly buzzy movie that they just refused to release. And it was it was playing in New York and LA for about 2 months before the expansion. They had no happened. confidence in expanding it at all. And I think that's that was a It mistake. left a lot of people frustrated who were waiting and waiting yes. and waiting to see the movie. However, you have to asterisk that to say that it was botched. It's one of their top earning releases of all time. Okay, but do you not agree that it probably would have made a good deal more had they handled that expansion better? Possibly, but this is also in the time like what Star Wars release was released that The one Christmas everybody time? hated except for the no, the ones all the fanboys hated and everybody else lo- all the critics loved. Um, this was the last this was the year last of- Jedi. Last, oh, Jedi, Last Jedi, Last Jedi, good movie. Um, it's not as good as people think it is. Oh no, I think it's pretty great. Um, people, uh, people talked themselves into loving that movie because it made the fanboys angry, and I get it. But also, it's not that good. I mean, like I felt I that whole thing. We don't have to get into it. We I don't. felt so out of the loop of it that I was we like, sure oh, so all of the when I when like it came to me that it was happening. All this, I was like, oh, so all of the things that are great about it that are exciting about it, that are exciting that the franchise might be moving in this direction are the things that all of these, you know, jagoffs in their basements are pissed about. You're never going to make me like the uh, weird green mother's milk Luke Skywalker scene just because... (laughs) I think that shit is Just because people who suck hate it doesn't mean that it's not 
dumb. Like, it's dumb. Uh, I, I love it. I love the frog nuns. Um, <laughs> I mean, that was at least funny. I think in general, the way that the story went was good. I think the movie itself is okay. I think people elevated it to extreme degrees because they wanted to be in opposition of the worst people on the internet. And like, go off. I don't know. <laughs> Call Me By Your Name gets its limited release the week of Thanksgiving, doesn't hit 100 theaters until uh, New Year's Eve weekend, mm-hmm. doesn't hit... Uh, its widest release, which is 800 theaters for another four weeks. Yeah. So, like, this is very extended. We'd also, and it should the be noted that, like, grown. sorry, go ahead. Carol had also seen the same thing that, like, it doesn't expand into a wide release for another two months. So, like, gay people especially were just like, well, the other thing is of... about Call Me by Your Name, and like, which is even more so than Carol, Call Me by Your Name was a Sundance premiere. So this yeah. movie had been accumulating interest and expectation for a fucking year, and it was still not expanding. With an audience that I think Sony Classics is not used to selling movies to younger people, they're used to uh, you know selling their their audiences, you know, an older audience. Right. Could it have made more money? Maybe, who knows? But, like, this is why I brought the Star Wars thing up, because, like, the way... I mean, the release of those Star Wars movies really fucking changed things in terms of, like, how a movie... How uh, smaller movies were essentially kind of pushed out of theaters. The anecdote I always used was, like, Spotlight was in every fucking theater in town until... uh, Force Awakens opens, and it's nowhere in town. And that movie won Best Picture and was a legitimate, for its scale, a box office hit. Yeah. That's the anecdote I always use. So, like, I could understand being, like, we can wait until after the new year and be in more theaters and not be wiped out within a week. I understand that. And also, like, if you look at just the hard numbers of it, uh, you know, it would be in its, like, top six or seven Sony Classic releases of all time. Sure, but Sony so, Classics is not exactly known for making a ton of money. No, but maybe they hit the ceiling on what that movie was going to make. I don't anyway. know. Anyway. I don't know. Anyway. I don't know anyway, they did even less for Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool, yeah, partly because as soon as the festival audiences saw it, it was kind of ho-hum. Yeah. Yeah. The... Those three BAFTA nominations are... I'd be interested in going back and looking at what their long lists were, because BAFTA does have long lists. Right, um, right. Even under their new processes for voting. I'm I'm on board with Benning and Jamie Bell getting nominated. Or wait, did Benning not get nominated? Benning is nominated by BAFTA. Who did she She wins. She wins for Movies for Grown Ups. Yes, yes. Yeah, it was another. Her nomination for BAFTA was another one very similar to Jamie Bell, where it's four Oscar nominees plus her. It's Frances for she Billboards. She replaces Meryl. Yeah, she displaces Meryl for the post, which was such a late, late, late bloomer. Um, yeah, I think it missed BAFTA entirely. If might I have. Correctly. Yeah, uh, Sally Hawkins for The Shape of Water, Margot Robbie for Itania, Saoirse for Lady Bird, and then Annette wins at where our good friends at the M for G's, um, beating a pretty. 
M for G's friendly lineup, I will say. Not only Francis in Three Billboards, who was your Oscar winner. Not only Salma Hayek for Beatrice at Dinner, which we've talked about. But Meryl in The Post, which is could not be more tailored to an M for G's audience, right? And M for G's fave, Judy Dench, in Victorian Abdul, which also feels like M for G's bait. So for Annette to win, and I think it's that, like... Maybe the M for G's voters were like, I remember Gloria Graham. I loved Gloria Graham. <laughs> like, that that thing. I, I, I'm into that notion. Um, I want to talk about Gloria Graham, actually. Um, what is your... what is, uh, Going into this movie, what was your familiarity with Gloria Graham? I definitely had more familiarity within the past year. Because... Mm-hmm. Uh, Bad and the Beautiful is one of those movies that a ton of people seem to have watched in the past maybe year, two years because of its placement on the Criterion channel. I watched it in That's preparation for our it. screen drafts for uh, the, uh, Best Picture follow-ups, because this mm-hmm. was Vincent Minnelli's follow-up to An American Gigi? in Paris? No, one no of American in Paris. One yeah. of his two. Um, that was her second nomination. That's the one she wins. She's I was shocked at how little of that movie Gloria Graham is in. She is in two scenes. She had up until Beatrice Strait wins for Network for Supporting Actress, Gloria Graham in The Bad and the Beautiful was the shortest amount of screen time for an acting winner up until uh, Network. So that's that's how how briefly she's in it. She's not bad, but it's like it's shocking that that performance beats, for example, Gene Hagen and Singing in the Rain, who, and we talked about in 100 Snubs how Singing in the Rain was in general, you know, not appreciated in its moment. But Gene Hagen's so fucking funny in that movie. And <laughs> um, uh, it's just, it's interesting. And so uh, up until that point, Gloria Graham is sort of known for playing characters in. Um, like noir, she's in a lot of noir movies. She's in a lot of sort mm-hmm. of her previous Oscar nomination to that was in a movie called Crossfire, which I watched. I had never seen. Have you ever seen that movie, Crossfire? Yeah, I talked about it for a hundred snubs. Gloria Graham is safely my winner in that category. Yeah, uh, she's pretty fabulous. She uh, that movie I didn't realize. Well, she plays she plays a character named Ginny who is described um, in I can't remember where where I read it, described as a working girl. There are all these euphemisms for not saying that she plays a sex worker, where Bosley Crowther's uh, Times Review said, uh, Gloria Graham is believably brazen and pathetic as a girl of the streets. I'm like, just say... At least say prostitute. I know we're now, I know prostitute is a little uh, is passe at this point. Um, they didn't have sex worker at the time, but at least like all these like euphemisms for like yeah. You know, but you couldn't say the word prostitute. It was a dirty not. word. I mean, like in a different way than we wouldn't say it now. But like you can't acknowledge the you can't acknowledge in any oblique way that sex acts happen in the yeah. world. Yeah. Um, it's also no- notable for being the first B movie to get a best picture nominee. A best picture nomination, Crossfire, which is interesting. It's all it's a movie about um a Jewish man who gets beaten to death by a group mm-hmm. of uh army uh soldiers and who are back at home. And it's the same year as Gentleman's Agreement. So you had these two 
Oscar Best Picture nominations that really deal with anti-Semitism, which is interesting coming in, like, I imagine that coming in 1947, you know, after the, you know, the camps in, in Europe had been liberated, the concentration camps had been liberated, you, I would imagine, this is just me spitballing as I tend to do sometimes and have no actual information, but I imagine that there was, this was maybe part of the reaction to that is the sort of the the shocking horror of the extent to which anti-Semitism went in Europe in World War II. And so you get movies like Gentleman's Agreement and Crossfire. That's just me speculating. Um, but in general, so those are her two Oscar nominations. In general, though, I imagine that she's most widely known, Gloria Graham, for playing Violet Bick in It's a Wonderful Life. That's a performance I've watched once a year since I was a kid. You know what I mean? And... Mm-hmm had never really put it together that that's the same, you know, woman that Annette Benning played until I like finally like looked up Gloria Graham in the, in the run up to this movie. Um, love that performance. I think she's, you know, that's a really, really sort of very interesting um, performance that is not one of the major ones in that movie, but I always like, I wonder what Violet Bick's up to. You know what I mean? Like, I hope she turned <laughs> out okay. And then she played Ado Annie in the musical version of Oklahoma, the Shirley Jones one. Cinemascope Oklahoma. Cinemascope Oklahoma, um, which I sent that clip of her playing uh, I'm Just a Girl Who Can't Say No to you and Katie, and I made the mistake of doing that because this is this is Katie's home version of Oklahoma. This is her, <laughs> the one she grew up on. So I'm-, I'm just a fool when lights are low. I can't be prissy and quaint. I ain't the type that can faint. How can I be what I ain't? I can't say. Gloria Graham, this is the one time that her actual voice is heard on film, and she had been in other musicals and been dubbed, and because dubbed. apparently Gloria Graham was functionally tone deaf. Well, you can tell when you're watching this clip of her in Oklahoma. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't want to be mean. It's a choice to make Ado Annie in that role that I think has been made before for someone who is not a singer. Even with that choice, though... It's, there's just, it's, it's the go girl, give us nothing school of performance. There's just nothing, even if you're going to play Edo Annie as awkward or vacant or weird. I watched a clip of, cause then all of a sudden YouTube is like, I know what you're looking for, Efsler, and starts throwing me like (laughs) other people uh, playing or singing uh, that song. And it's Christian Chenoweth at 54 Below singing, uh, and it's not in a performance. It's probably ripping the roof off. Well, ripping the roof off, but also just like being like a real character with it and sort of like, and, and making, you know, for Christian Chenoweth, you know, sort of subtle acting choices. And like, and then you go back to the Gloria Graham performance and it's just like absolutely devoid of anything. And it's tone deaf. And from what I had read, she had, because at that point in her career, she had gotten very self-conscious about her looks and she had, um, tried to get plastic surgery to enhance her upper lip because she did not like how thin her upper lip was. And it apparently paralyzed the nerves in her upper lip. So she couldn't really move 
you know, the top half of her mouth. And so it was all of this stuff. And so it's like you feel, you know, awful for her in that regard. But, oh, God, it was... is I, I, a dummy, uh, thought it was really, really bad. Um, <laughs> I did not care for the Browns. <clears throat> but then you get the other stuff in, you know, the movie about the sort of more scandalous aspects of Gloria Graham's life. We mentioned it, the marriage to Nicholas Ray and the marriage to Anthony Ray, who is Nicholas Ray's son and the husband that she had in between those two then sued her for custody of their child because of, you know, uh, this revelation with uh, the stepson. And it's, it's a messy, messy life. I don't know. What did you... I don't know if you went as deep into the... I would rather watch that movie than this movie. <laughs> That's the thing! Thank you, thank you. That's the thing. I don't know. What else? What else do we have to say about Gloria Graham, about this movie, about whatever? Jamie Bell, very charismatic, and like yeah. you can see why he got the best reviews of this movie. Yeah. Um, just a really charming screen presence. Uh, I feel like Jamie Bell has not had the best go at it, partly because, you know, the whole Fantastic Four monstrosity. And it's just that thing of, you know, when someone becomes famous as a child star, Mm -hmm. as an adult actor, they maybe don't always know what to do with him. But I feel like it's quite possible that this movie just got very lucky in having this underserved actor who I would like to see in more things. Here's what I will say about Jamie Bell is he is in an upcoming movie. One I was hoping would be announced for TIFF, but has not been uh, Andrew Hayes, new movie called strangers where yes, that Andrew, is very exciting. Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal have some sort of encounter where it is rumored. This is based on a book. So like people have read the book. Apparently there's going to be some, hot, hot, hot stuff happening between Andrew Scott and Paul Meskel, which is very exciting, but Claire Foy is also in this movie, and Jamie Bell is also in this movie, playing the parents of Andrew Scott's character. So this is a sort of odd little uh, mystical reality, time travel kind of a thing, where he comes across his parents looking, you know, years younger, and they were, you know, they had died, and it's, it's, it's an interesting premise. And it's Andrew Hay, who... Directed Weekend and 45 Years and what's the horse movie that I really Lean like? Lean on Pete. Lean on Pete. Um, I like Andrew Hayes movies. So it's going to yeah. be on Hulu through Searchlight. I imagine this will probably be. Why do I get more angry at Hulu through Searchlight than I do about Netflix? Like you're the well, one. Because they have exciting things that should be put in theaters but like it was also like these things were developed at weird times where you know it's you know it's a corporation trying to develop their slate for their streamers and Uh it's like well we want them in theatrical well they're contracted to be a streaming movie yeah We've seen other streamers change those plans, such as Max, you know, like the Evil Dead movie was supposed to just be a streaming movie. They put it in theaters. It makes almost $80 million. Yeah. Why can't Searchlight do this, too? Did you watch any of that? I know the answer to this before I ask the question, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Did you watch that show Shining Girls on on Apple TV? What? Yeah. (laughs) 
It was the show. Elizabeth Moss was in it. She's uh, we love Lizzie. Yeah, Elizabeth Moss is in it, and he plays a serial killer in that show. Oh, I have not watched it. Uh, but it was it was around that. It was um, one of those. Remember how in spring of 2022 last year, like everybody released their prestige limited series where it was like the dropout and all at the same time uh, under the banner of heaven (coughs) and, and just everything. And it was too much. And I didn't watch anyway. Um, but it's a title I remember. So yeah, he played a serial killer in that and it's only eight episodes. So maybe at some point I will go back and watch it because I like Lizzie Moss. Uh, I like Jimmy Bell. I like Amy Brenneman. Uh, I also have recently seen him recently as in like the past decade. He's also in Lars von Trier's Nymphomaniac. Oh, and he was so good in Rocket Man. He was easily my favorite part of Rocket Man. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, Not easily. I thought Taron was very good. Rocket Man is a a movie I had my issues with. Um, Um, I had my issues with Rocket Man, but Jamie was so good playing Bernie Toppin. Like, ah, if that movie had been a little bit better and had been the type of movie to get like major Oscar contention and not just like minor, like, you know, in certain categories, I would have loved a campaign for Jamie Bell in that movie. And I think he would have deserved it. I thought he was so good. Charming actor. Charming actor. Love him. Cute as a button in Billy Elliot. And he's still with us today, which I love. Um, I love a, a success story from a child star. Like that's, you know, that's not bad. I'm into it. All right. See what Andrew Hay does for him. Gosh, so excited for that movie. I guess, I guess at this point, if it's not in the festivals, it's just going to be. I think year. that's, I think that along with the other Hulu searchlight movie, uh, Mariel Heller's night bitch. I think those are going to be, uh, my guess at this point is that they're Sundance. Yeah, that would make sense. That would make sense. Alrighty. Especially considering Searchlight just shifted all of their yeah. stuff. Uh, I also want to throw in one last thing before we move on to the IMDb game. Uh, Annette Benning was nominated by the Alliance of Women Film Journalists for, quote-unquote, Best Actress Defying Age and Ageism. We don't have time for me to get into why that's a weird category. Because how do you defy age and ageism? Isn't the whole idea of valuing the concept of defying age taking part in ageism? (laughs) Right. The the fact that the category exists makes it a backhanded Should it not be Best Actress embracing age and defying ageism and not the other way around? Like, right, right. Ah, all right. Anyway, I mean that has to be because like Annette Benning is nude in the sex scenes. I would imagine she's nominated a lot. Well, I don't know because look who she's nominated against: Frances McDormand for three billboards, who apparently got, just got nominated for every award possible. She was nominated. They're for just a nominating any Nobel over Prize the age for Chemistry that year lead. as well. But the winner in this category from the Alliance of Women Film Journalists is Agnes Varda. For faces, places. That's why I threw this in. I wanted to throw that in for you. They're just nominating people who are older than fifty. When I, I mean, think of, uh, you know, you know what uh, she means to me. But Agnes uh, Varda, an actress defying age and ageism. That is always how I will think of her. She's um, that's 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 weird, y'all. That's weird. It's a little um, weird. It's a little weird. This is what I'm saying. Uh, I mean, like, she, the, not all of her films were nonfiction, but she made nonfiction films largely. 
the ones that she was in were nonfiction. This is for, I'm guessing, yeah, you said Faces Places. Places. Yeah. Which is nonfiction. She's there as herself. Yeah. She's not acting. Yeah. It's weird. It's a weird thing. That's, all right. All right. It's anyway. Weird call, guys. Uh, anything else before we do the IMDb game? I don't think so. All right. Let's, let's do it. Do the let's rules go. to the IMDb game. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we will mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. That's not enough. It just becomes a free-for-all of hints. That is the IMDb game. I'm going to my phone to bring up uh, mine, my choice for you, and I see that I have gotten the most inept attempt at scamming me through a text message I've ever received, where they're like, your package has arrived at the warehouse but cannot be delivered due to incomplete address information. Please copy this link and paste it into your Safari browser and then open it. I'm like, well, this sounds perfectly legitimate. I'll get right on that. Yeah. Oh, God, I hope my Siri didn't listen to that and do it. What if that's the plot? of? <laughs> wouldn't that be the plot of something? Um, no, it didn't. Are you are you giving or guessing first? I'll give first. All right. Um, I, oh, no, of course it went away. All right. I uh, looked up all of those names of actresses for the little game that I presented to you. And one of them who had played young Audrey Hepburn was Ms. Emmy Rossum. And Emmy Rossum has one television among her four IMDb known for. The television is shameless. Sure is. She uh, ruled movies on that are show. Phantom of the Opera. Yes. Day After Tomorrow. Yes, you're three for three. And Ooh. I feel like there was a romance in there somewhere. Or she was like he's the, the daughter in something. I'm not gonna get a perfect score on this. I'm just I'm I'm casting that dream aside. Um Okay. So I mean those are both two thousand four movies. What else was she doing around the O three, O four, O five window? What got her cast in Phantom? I wonder. There was something. I feel like it's going to be pre two thousand four, whatever this other one is. It's not like Ella Enchanted, but maybe she had like an Ella Enchanted moment. Uh I I'm 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 coming up blank. Um maybe I need to I can't think of anything she was in recently. Wasn't she in like San Andreas? I'm going to say that because I can't come up with another movie title. Not San Andreas. I know that's not her. I'll look up and see if she was in that at all, but <clears throat> it's not. That might be a uh, hmm, Alexandra Daddario. Very um, possible. Uh, okay. O three Emmy Rossum was yeah no like, San Andreas. God, what, was she in like Cheaper by the Dozen? No, not Cheaper by the Dozen. That's two strikes. Your year is in fact two thousand three. Yeah, I I knew this. Um, 
is like headlined by a man. It could be any kind of genre. I don't think it's an action movie. Let me know when you start needing hints. I need hints. It was an Oscar movie. Yeah. An Oscar winning movie. Yes. In 03. Yes. Um, it's not Lost in Translation. It's not Lord of the Rings. It's... Um, what would it have been? Um, what were the other winners that year? Supporting actor was... It was supporting actor in 03. It's not House of Sand and Fog. It would have been... Uh, it's not the last samurai. It's not. It 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 won supporting actor, right? Yes. Mystic River. Mystic she is River. the daughter that gets killed in Mystic River. She is exactly that. You cut. You had it so early on. You said that she may be the daughter. No, of I knew that that's exactly what it was. I just couldn't remember what it was. If you had gotten a perfect score, I would have reminded you that you had requested that this uh, IMDb game wouldn't count for you this week because you did the other game. So <laughs> uh, I would have said congratulations, but it is not an official win. Um, but great. Anyway. Uh, well done. Well, uh, well reasoned, Christopher. Who do okay, you got? Okay, so for for you, I went into um, Gloria Graham is a Best Supporting Actress winner. We could have talked about that video of her win too. She pulls a full Merritt Weaver. She's like, she does. It's a drive by. You can tell she maybe didn't think she was gonna win, but yeah. she's like hustles up to the stage, a little nervous, just says thank you yeah. and like barely gets her thank you out before she's walking away she like it's a statue. drive-by she doesn't even stop at the podium it's so she just great walks past. yeah yeah she like you're right she doesn't stop moving yeah. and bob hopes like she just got here yeah. <laughs> like you know like she was running late or running late to something yeah um it's fantastic yeah gloria graham one supporting actress one of her final roles was a supporting actress winning movie that is Melvin and Howard for Mary Steenburgen. Nice. Okay, Mary Steenburgen. Okay. Any television? No television. Melvin and Howard? No. Okay. Book Club? No. No! Fuck! Uh, (laughs) God damn it! Mary Steenburgen's known for also spans quite a bit of time your years are 1979, 1990, 2008, and 2013. Jesus Christ. Okay. 2009, or the 1979 is, I'm going to say very difficult because I don't know what this movie is, but I had to throw it is in Is 1990 there. Parenthood? It is not Parenthood. I believe 1990 is 1989. Or Parenthood is 1989. I believe 1990 is 1989 is me then looking like the lady with the numbers all around her head being like, (laughs) how does that work? Yeah, you're right. It is 1989. 1990, Mary Steenburgen. Okay. I really thought you were going to say 93 because 93, she's in both Gilbert Grape and Philadelphia. But that's not the case. All right, 79. 79 is a science fiction movie where the lead character is billed as H.G. Wells. Is billed or plays? The character That's is the H. name Wells. of the lead character. So H.G. Uh, Wells, and I guess that she is some type of 
time travel. Oh, it's H.G. Wells in pursuit of Jack the Ripper. What? This movie sounds bananas, but uh, she is apparently the romantic lead. Is it a title that I would recognize? It, uh, you wouldn't expect it to be about H.G. Wells uh, <laughs> hunting down Jack the Ripper uh, based on the title. This is a very famous title of an 80s pop song that is like in any movie set during the 80s. Total Eclipse of the Heart. No. All right. Female singer, though. Betty Davis eyes. No. Um, everybody wants to rule the world. A female singer who is definitely more famous oh, female singer. for another song that's in like every movie set in the 80s. Especially if women are involved. Oh. Sisters are doing it for themselves. No. Um, let the river run. No. Uh, a, a very ubiquitous song. The song is in Barbie. Oh. Not the song that's the title of the Mary Seen Virgin movie, but the right. artist's other song. Not the Indigo Girls. No. Not Aqua. Not Aqua. Not Matchbox 20. Not Matchbox 20. <laughs> From the 80s. From the, no, I just wanted to throw in Matchbox A song that I would imagine is contractually obligated to be in any Barbie movie. So it's like women power. I mean, what are you before you're a woman? Girls just want to have fun. I forgot that that Girls was just want to Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so uh, another Cindy Lauper song is Time After Time. Time After Time is the name of this movie. Because it's H.G. Wells in the Time Machine. Okay. Never would have got that. I've never heard of that movie. Okay. Nope. Nope. Malcolm McDowell plays H.G. Wells. All right. It sounds... That's uh, fucked up that that's in her known for. IMDb, you have something to answer for. (laughs) All right. 1990. 1990. Comedy? Uh, Yes. Comedy franchise. Oh. Well, she's not in Home Alone. I hate that this is maybe her, like, big post-Oscar role. Because this movie... I don't know, man. Comedy franchise, it's her big This is not a franchise role. I love. This is a franchise I tend to side-eye. Is it the first installment? It is definitely not. Oh, it's Back to the Future 3, of course. It's Back to the Future 3. I don't like those movies. I love Back to the Future. I don't really have a ton of use for the sequels, but I love Back to the Future. I think it's a great movie. I don't movie. get the appeal. Oh, man. That was a that was a taped it off of an HBO free preview, and we watched it all the time movie for us when we were <laughs> kids. We watched that all the time. Um, Your other two years are 2008 and 2013. My dad could not get enough of the joke. He thought it was so clever. The This is your cousin, Marvin Berry. Uh, holding the phone up to Chuck Berry. Uh, also because it gave my dad an excuse to tell us all about Chuck Berry. That was very fun. Um, he's talking about Chuck Berry. See, in real life, there was a guy named Chuck Berry and he invented rock and roll. Anyway, um, what are our other two years? 2008-2013. Christ in heaven. Okay, 08, comedy. She is the top build, mo- top build female uh, star of both of, these of both of these movies okay but she is not above the title yeah no i would not to give you so. the vibe of the movie yeah, yeah 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 um is she like the love interest or is she like the mom yes <laughs> she's different for both of them yes of course of course oh wait love interest or mom 
Mom. Mom. Not like, well, Pineapple Express? No. Okay. Uh, but Same is, summer, though. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Summer of 08 comedy. This is a movie that a lot of people love. And while I had fun at this movie, the way that people love this movie drives Step me Brothers. Step Brothers. She's great there in Step go. Brothers. I love her in Step Brothers. She, she's the best part of Step Brothers. Um, no, okay. the best the, part of Step Brothers is Catherine Hahn. Let's be clear. Catherine Hahn fucking I, rules. I like Mary Seabergen in that movie. Mary Seabergen and Richard Jenkins. They're, they're, no, they're lovely. They're great. Okay. Um, Okay, the 2013 movie is a type of movie that we talk about. And, like, we, like, this is the movie that we reference when we mention this type of movie. August Osage County. No, she's not. No. In that. Um, no. It's like a subgenre of movies that, like, there's always going to be these movies. And this is the example that we. Indie? No. I mean, I think this was a CBS Films, but no one's calling this an independent movie. Okay. Um, it's a type of movie. It's a dance it's a, movie? It's, it's like a subcategory. We would definitely, like... I don't know if we would use this as, like, a categories category, but, like, the, the, it's, the, the, this movie has come up on, like, Trivia again. Nights often. Okay. This movie or this type of movie? This movie and this type of movie. Okay. Comedy. Yes. She's the love interest. Oh, so it's... Oh, presumes. oh, okay. So it's a older woman self-actualizing movie. No. 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 She is the top-billed actress of this oh, movie. Oh, right, She is right. not billed above the right, title. Right, right, right. Oh, okay. So what does that mean? Oh, it's about a man. This is... Oh, or... oh, oh. This is a this is four old guys go out and have the time of their lives. This is Last yes. Vegas. What is the quintessential movie? It's of that? Last Vegas. It's Last Vegas. Yeah. Okay. There okay. Okay. Go. There we go. I got it. I got it. No, you. It's a bunch of old. You guys described it perfectly. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Exactly. All right. Good IMDb game. That was fun. That Good was IMDb it. game. God, we got a longer podcast than the movie. I always appreciate when we can go longer on the podcast than the movie was. And we did that for film stars. Don't die in Liverpool. Well done. All right, Chris, that's our episode. Uh, listeners, if you would like more, this had Oscar buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at this had Oscar You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz and our Instagram at this had Oscar buzz. A reminder, you can go to patreon.com slash this had Oscar buzz and sign up for this had Oscar buzz turbulent brilliance, our Patreon membership for $5 a month, where you can get two bonus episodes a month, along with special mailbag privileges and the ability to vote for upcoming movies. And just in general, support us because you love us with a question mark. But I think that you do if you're listening to two hours plus of Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. So um, uh, we'll see you over on the Patreon, I guess. Uh, Chris, where can the listeners find more of you? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. 
I am also on Twitter and Letterboxd as Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance, and Taylor Cole for our theme music. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility, so if you are bad or beautiful, you're welcome to leave us some nice comments. That's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Bye.